It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Suicide of American Culture, how one viral video by a 29-year-old actually provokes a conversation about the death of the nation-state. Two, here they come. Here come masks. Three, for one glorious moment on Saturday, we were all united in victory and celebration and in excitement for the University of Colorado and Deion Sanders. And then, of course... Largely driven by the internet, it has devolved into division and anger. It's the Will Kane Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up? And welcome to Wednesday. As always, I hope you will download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment, at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. You can watch the Will Kane Podcast on Rumble or on YouTube. I hope you had a beautiful weekend. I hope you had a beautiful Labor Day. There was a moment on Sunday night, where the sun was setting in North Texas, the sky to the west just exploded into orange and pink and purple. And out on the front steps of our house in Sherman, Texas, there was multiple three, four, five-year-olds driving little electric vehicles. There was a puppy playing with Violet. She has a new 10-week-old cousin, a chocolate lab named Penny. There were multiple couples and children all talking, carrying on different conversations, fighting over balls, fighting over toys. And Man, I stepped back for a moment and thought, this is it. This is family. This is home. I hope you had family and home on Labor Day. Story number one, how one viral video by a 29-year-old actually provokes a deeper conversation about the suicide of American culture and perhaps the nation-state. There was a viral video that made its way around the Internet this past weekend by a young woman, 29 years old, who was espousing the virtues of her lifestyle. She's single, she's childless, and she spends much of her time living the life she chooses going to concerts, watching Beyonce until the wee hours of the morning, drinking, sleeping in, hungover, waking up, going to an exercise class, and then spending the rest of the day watching and catching up on whatever her particular tastes are in Netflix series. She accompanied it with a healthy amount of condescension, maybe a search for validation for her lifestyle, for her situation in life versus those who are married and have kids at numerous times. In the course of the video, she says, because I don't have kids to wake up to, I can sleep in till 10. She constantly compares her life to a sliding doors alternative life where she were married, she had a family, and she was raising children. And she was saying that her life choices have led her to a better place, a more free, a more selfish place in life. For whatever particular reason, this video provoked... Commentary on X. Conservative commentator Matt Walsh reposted her video and said it was a sad, pathetic life. 
that she was proselytizing. That, in turn, provoked the response of billionaire Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban, who made fun of Matt Walsh for spending his time on Twitter, on X. And then Stephen Miller, who used to work in the Trump administration, tweeted the following to Mark Cuban. He asked Mark Cuban, you have a large following. People listen to your advice. Would you say, what would you say is a more fulfilling path for adults? Starting a family or sleeping late and watching TV? What advice would you give to someone who suggests they wish to be childless so they can stream more shows? It's a good question. And I think largely asked in good faith. Stephen Miller hasn't resorted to name-calling. I don't think he has overly reduced or characterized her position. He has simply asked Mark Cuban an excellent question. What would be your advice for someone who said, should I start a family or should I sleep late and stream television shows? Now, Mark Cuban, a man who has plenty of advice and judgment to offer when it comes to a business, when he's sitting on the set of Shark Tank, seems to be striving for internet non-controversiality, internet 100% acceptance. He seems to be striving to fit in. Here is what Mark Cuban tweeted back in response to Stephen Miller. He said, thanks for asking, Stephen. And then he responded with five points. Number one, I wouldn't give her advice unless she asked. Number two, after looking at the comments to her post, I would thank her for offering a place for people who can relate to her to engage and have a conversation. She replies to the comments, and based on that, people seem to appreciate it. Three, from a business perspective, I would tell her that the wellness space is crowded, but if she does this in addition to her job, she might be able to find a nice business. Four, as far as a family, I would tell her to do whatever she thinks is best for her. It's none of my effing business. Five, if I had you both in a room, I would point at her and thank her for trying to bring joy to others and would point out at you and ask, what happened that causes you to hate so much? Seriously, Stephen, why so much hate from you? This is an inherently on its face a bad faith argument from Mark Cuban. He's not trying to engage. He's not asking Stephen Miller true questions. And worse, he's not responding to what I think was actually a true question from Stephen Miller. If any intern or any female employee or any young woman in Mark Cuban's life asked them for advice, what do you think is a better life path? Do you think it is better to start a family or to sleep in and stream TV shows? There is zero doubt in my mind, absolutely zero doubt, that Mark Cuban would, in fact, offer the correct advice to that young lady. For that matter, to that young man, would it be better to start a family or be better to sleep late and stream TV shows? Mark Cuban would not hesitate to answer that question Honestly, but on the Internet, he plays the role of a good faith character while behaving in bad faith. He does that by dressing up what he has to say or doesn't have to say in all types of Internet acceptable niceties while casting the bad guy cape, the bad guy villain role at whoever may be his opponent, accusing them of bad motivations. In this case, with Stephen Miller, hate. But the bad faith is revealed in the man who is making 
making the aspersion. It's not Stephen Miller in this case. I read you Miller's response and I've read you Cuban's response. Which one is offering you a mischaracterization of the other's intentions? Which one, I ask you, is asking honest questions? Which one is engaging in good faith? It's easy to see the answer. Stephen Miller. But Mark Cuban is playing the role of 100% acceptability on the internet, and he is doing so dishonestly, because I have zero doubt, once again, that he would do the same thing in private. That he would ever say, no, 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 I would never will. I would never advise you should sleep late and stream TV shows. No, Mark. But would you say, hey, bro, it's all up to you. Hey, girl boss, choose what you like. It's your life to live. It's none of my effing business. In no world do I believe that would be Mark Cuban's answer because the answer is unequivocally, objectively, start a family. It is never, with no caveats and no asterisks, it is never to sleep late and stream TV shows as two opposing life paths presented by this viral video. Now, there was one commenter to Mark Cuban that I found incredibly insightful. This commenter is named Tanya Berlaga. Here's what she said in response to Stephen Miller and Mark Cuban. She said, Mark doesn't understand the meaning of the word hate, in quotation marks. What he means is judge, in quotation marks. What causes you to judge, Stephen? We should all be non-judgmental. Do whatever the hell you want. Bring joy to others by spewing crap. Because there are a lot of people who take joy in listening to it. And many also take joy in seeing someone's misery. And the woman is miserable. But she brings joy to everyone and she judges no one. So let's thank her for that. What liberals like Mark hate the most is to be seen as judgmental. So he replaces judge with hate. So nobody else dares to do what you did, which is to pass judgment. I think that is spot on by Tanya Berlaga. And it transcends this particular viral story. Judge and hate are not one in the same. And so much of, yes, liberalism at large, but also sort of the mainstream acceptable talking points, that which is required so that you can remain cool, that which puts you to the safest in 100% acceptability, is actually the avoidance of judgment. Judgment is what distinguishes us from animals. Judgment is what tells you not to eat or drink the item in your fridge past the expiration date. Judgment is why you chose to study instead of party seven nights a week in college. Judgment told you it's a smarter investment to put my money perhaps in some value stock as advised by Warren Buffett instead of in a speculative enterprise, say an internet business that broadcast audio over the internet that just happened to strike rich, but in 99 out of 100 doesn't end up in you being a billionaire, ends up in you losing your money. Judgment is what tells you to invest and not gamble. Judgment is what distinguishes risk. Judgment is what incentivizes good behavior. Judgment is essential. To the human condition. Judgment is not hate, 
Now, of course, we want to be able to pass judgment, as does God, in ways that do not come off as hate. This is good. That is bad. This is good behavior. That is bad behavior. And if your goal is to incentivize or influence good behavior, you try to do so without castigating or condemning the judged to hell, to hatred. But we've lost the ability to distinguish between judgment and hatred. And Mark Cuban, most definitely as presented, as analyzed by Tanya Berlaga, has defaulted into the idea that judgment is hate. It is better unequivocally to start a family than to sleep late and stream television shows. It's so much better that if we all choose the latter instead of the former, if we all choose to not build families, but to sleep late and stream TV shows, we're looking at the death of American culture, the death, the suicide of the nation state. I want to share you with this, share with you this, which came up last week again on X. This time by Elon Musk. Elon Musk brought up the issue of population decline. He uh, he tweeted about the various countries that are losing their birth rates. This was reported on as well by revolver.news and here's some of what has been revealed by elon and is reported in on revolver japan had its largest total drop in population since 1968 the u.s population flatlining as birth rates stagnate china fertility rates hit record lows singapore birth rates fall to record low uk birth rates hit 20-year low italy's birth rate drops to historic lows South Korea breaks record for the world's lowest fertility rate again. Declining fertility rates have been a problem across the world, most notably in Europe and Japan, for quite some time. They are now starting to become obvious as a problem in the United States of America. They are such a problem that it is pretty much, in most cases, a bipartisan recognition. I say pretty much in most cases because there is still at least two ideological talking points from the left that incentivize declining birth rates. One is sort of the feminist girl boss mindset of the past two or three generations from the 1960s. That's which has elevated the idea that a fulfilled life, that a truly virtuous life, is to emulate the traditional standards of male accomplishment behind a desk, at a career, reflected in earnings. What's happened as we have empowered women to pursue that path, which is a path that is very valid for some, I'm not here to denigrate that path chosen, but for what it's done for others is disincentivize, to denigrate the path of creating and raising a family, that it's beneath women to stay home and raise children, that is leaving their earning capacity, their intellectual capabilities, their societal contributions on the table of what they could be doing out there inside corporate offices for their career. That has had its effect on declining birth rates in the United States, as has the leftist ideology of climate religion. Climate religion has incentivized the idea that it's in fact bad to have children because they're a bigger tax on the earth. Doubt me on that? Post something on the internet. Go look up articles talking about 
the virtue of having children, and you will see the responses. You will see the reaction of how bad that is for the planet. Let's take a moment here. This is something I said on Fox and Friends this weekend, and I'm pretty passionate about this, but climate science has devolved into climate religion. Climate religion has devolved itself then in turn as climate chicken little. And it has turned then yet once more into a land grab for power. There is nothing more disgusting in my mind than watching politicians like Joe Biden fly into a disaster zone, stand on ground that has been burnt, entire towns burnt to the ground or leveled by a hurricane. Or for that matter, we can expand beyond climate science into school shootings as well and stand on the graves of dead children to espouse your politics. You know what would have solved this problem? More gun control. You know what would have solved this problem? More money to climate science. To stand on this burnt ground, on this destroyed town, on the graves of these children, and pimp your politics is beyond grotesque. To stand there in this moment of tragedy and devastation amidst the people who have been destroyed and say that the real solution to this problem would be more power for me. And as it's been said several times, the very same people who hadn't the competency to sound alarms in Lahaina are the ones that tell you now that they can control the globe's thermostat. Just give me more power. Just give me more money. Just turn your lives over to me, and I will solve your problems. I find it incredibly gross that a politician like Joe Biden can fly into a disaster zone, be it West Maui or in central Florida with Hurricane Adalia, and say, hey, Give me more power to play politics. But that climate religion has also disincentivized population, having children, starting families. What has risen in its place then is sort of the bipartisan idea that, well, you know what will solve our population decline? Mass migration. Oh, we need people to come in from all across the globe, even illegally, to fulfill the jobs that either we don't have the people or the will to any longer any longer do. Okay, fine. As a mathematical enterprise, let's just suggest you could have population replenishment by mass migration. Does that come without a cost? Does that come as an absolute or even net positive? Well, if you acknowledge that there's an American culture or even – that there is an American nation state, the answer to that has to be a massive, massive cost. You bring in people from across the globe, legally or illegally, but largely we're talking about illegally. The argument among within legal immigration is to say from where at what rate. It's a debate we've had from the beginning of the birth of this country. Quotas from where at what rate, for what job. But if we continue to let this illegal migration take place, what we look at is the replacement of American culture and population with a different culture and population. And with that, what I'm suggesting to you is we lose American culture by suicide. There are others who have incentivized the increase in birth rate. The most obvious example is Hungary. Hungary has put into place several incentive-based policies like have four children, no longer pay income taxes, incentivize women and families to have more kids to avoid or to 
reap the benefits of government policy. We need more children. We need more Americans. We need to perpetuate American culture, which, again, unless you're suicidal, I think most of us would agree is a good culture. It's a good country. This experiment is a net positive, not just for the people who live here, but for the world. And we can't lose this, not this culture, and ultimately not this nation state to suicide. And the answer to that is not to incentivize people to pursue life paths where their ultimate ambition is to stream Netflix, but instead to start families. We'll be right back with more of the Will Cain Podcast. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Story number two. They're coming back. Masks. First Lady of the United States, Jill Biden, has tested positive for COVID-19. Reports are, I believe this is Jill Biden's third bout. Jill Biden, highly vaccinated, highly boosted, third bout with COVID. This comes at the same time, The View is missing a familiar figure today in Whoopi Goldberg, who I believe, I believe is on her fifth bout. Highly vaccinated, highly boosted, Whoopi Goldberg on her fifth bout bout with covid now this comes as news today as well that joe biden will begin to socially distance and wear a mask masks are on their way back they're talking and now they're beginning to wear masks just in time for an election the return of covid19 now covid is going around I'm sure that you and I both know people who are sick, who have gotten sick over the last month. I do. I can hear them on the phone coughing and hacking, and I know that they're sick. I also know they're not, by a probability of over 99%, not going to die, not going to the hospital. I also know there's not much that's going to happen for them by wearing a face diaper. Dr. Anthony Fauci was on CNN late last week, and even he, or last weekend, was finally pressed by CNN about the efficacy of masks. Do they work? What Fauci said was incredible. He acknowledged that on a mass, broad data level, there's not an overwhelming argument for the idea that you're protected from COVID-19 by masks. No, there's no broad data, but still, he argued, on an individual level, in certain cases, it can most definitely help. I'm not sure I understand that, quote-unquote, science. No, 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 no. We don't see the fact that seatbelts work in the broad data, but we still know on an individual basis that it could help. That's a bad analogy because we know that seatbelts help. It would be better worded like this. No, no, no. There's no broad data that carrying around a blankie, a safety blanket, or poking a voodoo doll does much on the broad level of data to protect you from bad spirits or COVID-19. But on the individual level, we still recommend, we still advise that you poke the voodoo doll and carry your safety blanket. On an individual level, it can still help. How does that work? How is that science? 
That's just rumor. That's a witch doctor. That's not a doctor. That's a witch doctor. Not in the data, but on the anecdotal individual base level. You should work with a voodoo doll. That's a witch doctor. Fauci said, oh, well, the CDC doesn't have the power to mandate, so there won't be any mask mandates. But the CDC has the power to, quote, unquote, recommend. That's what the CDC does. They make recommendations. You and I saw the power of those recommendations three years ago. Every school district, every county-level government, every business forced to fall in line with the CDC's recommendation, even when we knew those recommendations were bull, were nonsense. They're going to try to bring them back, masks. I saw an amazing internet video where a guy said, listen, the first go-around, your true mask enforcers were waiters and waitresses, was hostesses, was flight attendants, store clerk. And we went along with it, largely out of social niceties. We understood it wasn't the flight attendant's policy. She was simply implementing the policy of his boss. It wasn't the store clerk's policy. He just works there. He's just doing what he's told by the owner of the franchise or the county-level government. And we went along just to not fight. But this guy said in this video, it's not going to be so nice this time around, see, because we've had three years to learn, as have you. And we're not going to be able to play make-believe anymore. We're not going to be able to play dress-up theater so that everybody just gets along. It's nonsense. It didn't work. And it came with a cost. So sorry, host, hostess. Sorry, flight attendant. Sorry, waiter, waitress. Sorry, store clerk. This time... We're going to have to put up a fight. This time, we're not going to be able to go along just so we don't make a scene. This time, we can't default to social niceties. This time, we won't comply for them to come back. Masks. We're going to step aside here for a moment. Stay tuned. Story number three. For a brief moment, we were all united in excitement for Deion Sanders in Colorado. And then, predictably, that fell apart into division and anger. Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes are the story of week one in college football. They looked incredible in defeating a 21-point spread and winning the game against last year's national championship runner-up, TCU. On the way... Deion Sanders' son, Shadur Sanders, and number one recruit in the nation from a few years ago, Travis Hunter, both of whom went to Jackson State along with Deion, the historically black college Jackson State, transferred to Colorado and looked amazing at Division I Power Five football. What a moment for Deion. We should probably take a moment and say, wasn't a great moment for me on my first day as a Clemson fan, my first game day as a Clemson fan. Stayed up late, nodded off a few times. The nephew didn't play. Harris Sewell, number 55 in your program, number one in your heart. We'll see if he ends up with playing time this year as a true freshman. But didn't go well for Clemson. Got manhandled by Duke. But it went well for Colorado. Now after the game, 
Dion did in some ways what was to be expected by Dion. He went on rants in the media postgame interview about the people that doubted him, asked if they believed now. And some of that is cool. I don't mind that. That's, that's what a lot of athletes do. They create, quote-unquote, bulletin board material. They create enemies and straw men so that they can get the edge they need to perform at their highest level. He continued in the press conference afterwards at the table saying, do you believe now? And calling out specific writers that he thought had doubted them in the past. He was very, very obstinate. And he continued on that warpath on social media afterwards saying, send me lists and send me articles of everyone who doubted us. I will say at some point, Dion's anger made him less sympathetic. I don't know where all of this division started But I will tell you that my sense was everyone was rooting and excited for Dion. Dion is a man of God. He always gives credit to God. He's also a man who nicknames himself Prime. So he's also giving plenty of credit to himself and his players. But man, he made it so polarizing. He put himself on one side of the table and basically put everybody else on the other It's hard to continue to root for somebody that continues to push you away. And I think everybody was rooting for Dion in Colorado until he began to shove everybody away. And one of the comments that he made that really shoved the nation apart in familiar fashion is he said, people don't want to see a black coach with a 75% black roster succeed. And I think that is fundamentally false on its face. Almost every college football roster, every professional football roster, is 75% black. And that hasn't stopped anybody from rooting for their team in the NFL or pulling for their college football alma mater or program. I don't see that anybody has distanced themselves throughout history from a program, in any significant fashion at least, because they have a black coach. I know many people that went to Colorado. I know many people who call themselves Colorado fans. They were thrilled to see as their new head coach, primetime, Deion Sanders. There was no division based upon race until the familiar characters jumped in and continued to do what they do, which is make their money by dividing people on the basis of race. Jamel Hill, formerly of ESPN, did what she always does. It didn't even take. She's in mid-season form in week one. A lot of coded language after this Colorado victory. She said, "Coded to what? People saying what?" Clarence Hill, Dallas Cowboys beat writer, pointed at students in the stands who were TCU students who were yelling at Deion Sanders, maybe cussing, making it a hostile environment. Well, that's not unique to Deion. That's not unique to race. Danny Cannell, formerly of ESPN, pointed out a clip last year of Nick Saban at the University of Texas with students yelling, F Nick Saban, in the background. It's college football. It's not about race. It's about burnt orange or black and gold or purple. It's not about black and white. But as is often the case, we have to divide ourselves once again on race. And Dion played into that. Now, why does Dion do that? Why has Dion done that? One of my producers, Patrick Haddon, who's a big Florida State fan, pointed out to me, well, 
Deion's the kind of athlete who's always needed a chip on his shoulder. He needs an enemy. He needs bulletin board material. He needs doubters. He needs haters. And I think that's true. Every, many great athletes do. Tom Brady does. The New England Patriots infamously made bulletin board material out of absolutely nothing. And Dion needs that. He needs that energy for him to arrive at the best version of himself. And I don't begrudge him that. But he didn't need to do it with such negativity. He didn't need to do it shoving that much of the country away. And he didn't need to do it on the basis of race. It's not true. A lot of bulletin board material is not true. The country isn't as described by those who want to continue to see us as racist and race divided. And college football is very divided. But by the colors of your school, not the colors of your skin. I'll continue to root for Dion to succeed from a distance. Every once in a while, I'll root for Colorado. Way below the Pepperdine Waves. Way below the Clemson Tigers. And way, way below the University of Texas Longhorns, who this weekend play in yet another game of the century. Texas versus Alabama. I'll talk to you before that. And see you again next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.